Welcome back to our seminar, Delighting in the Almighty, a Practical Guide to Primitive Godliness. We are now going to look at uh, my story a little bit. Um, I share my story with you not because I'm special. I share my story with you because each one of us has a different way that God works with us, and we can encourage each other, and we can get some insights into how uh, the Christian life works a little bit by sharing our stories with each other. So I'm really glad for the privilege of being able to share with you um, this afternoon. Before we begin, though, let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come once again to you, recognizing that only you can do it. And so we ask for it right now, Father. We ask for your grace. We ask for your power. We ask for your wisdom. We ask for you to teach us. We ask for you to convict us to convert us, to revive us, to reform us. Father, it's all good. It's all you. I pray that we will let you. Please work powerfully in each of our hearts and minds right now, I pray. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Only God can do it. Only I can let him. Self is the problem. The Holy Spirit is the solution. Surrender is the key. That's the theory. That's the theory. Now, in this last session, I'd like to share with you practice in practical terms, as practical as I can get it. In my own story, I'd like to share with you what that meant in my life personally. There is no magic formula for surrender. There is no magic formula for the Christian life. God works with each one of us in different ways. So I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that this is the way it has to be for you. But I do believe that there are some general principles that we can learn as we share each other's stories. And so before I do that, I'd like to share with you a parable of my story. Okay, can I do that? A parable of my story? The parable is about Rich the poor man. Now, Rich was so poor that he could barely feed his family. He had lost his business in a flood several years back, and since that time he had been looking for work and barely finding it, and just barely scraping through and putting food on the table, and then he would lose his job and find another job. He kept on looking for work, and he didn't always succeed. But Rich's life was not all drudgery and work. He also had a hobby. Rich's hobby was collecting stones. Because what else do you collect if you don't have any money? Right? You pick them off the ground, you find something colorful, you find something pretty, you, you polish it up, you, 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 that's your collection. And so he did that. But he got so, so much into these, the stone collection that he would spend hours uh, polishing them and admiring their beauty. And in fact, he had the cream of the cream of his rock collection in a bucket that he carried with him wherever he went. Wherever Rich went, this bucket was with him. He took it to the marketplace, he took it to all of his jobs, he even took it to church. The bucket was always with him. His most precious possessions, the cream of the cream of his collection. One day, Rich and his bucket were standing out on a street corner in a nearby city looking for work. And as he was standing there, this rich-looking gentleman came up to him and said, Hey, what's your story? And so Rich told him about his, uh, his business and how he had lost it and how he had been struggling to, to find food and, had, and told him the whole story. And the wealthy gentleman says, man, that is just such a sad story. I want to help. Come to my house and I will give you gold coins. Wow. Rich had never seen a gold coin before, but he knew he wanted one. So he says, sure. So they went to the guy's house. The wealthy gentleman ran into his house and he came out with two heaping 
handfuls of gold coins. And he said, here, Rich. And he poured them into Rich's bucket. And Rich was so ecstatic. You can just imagine. I mean, think about what he was thinking at that moment. Wealthy beyond his wildest dreams. He thanked the man profusely. He ran all the way home, bucket and all, and he burst into the kitchen and he said, we're rich, we're rich, we've got gold coins. And of course his family, when they heard that, they came running. But you know, when they looked in the bucket, there were only three gold coins in that bucket. The bucket was so full that all the other gold had fallen over on the ground and he hadn't even recognized it. Well, his wife being a very practical person said, that's not going to really make us wealthy, but you know, it'll help. So they went out and they bought some food for several weeks and they had so much food that they even shared with all their neighbors that were uh, hungry and it was a great time. But after a little while, the, the money ran out. And uh, Rich was thinking, wow, no more money. My, my family's hungry. What can I do? And so he said, you know, I wonder, that, that guy was willing to give me a, two full handfuls of these gold coins. I wonder if, if he'd be willing to give me some more because, you know, I didn't get them all that he wanted to give me. And so he kind of worked up his courage a little bit. And he went back and he kind of trepidatiously knocked on the door, you know. And the, the wealthy gentleman opened up the door wide and said, Oh, Rich, you're back. I'm so glad. Last time you left with a whole bunch of gold on the floor. And so Rich says, yeah, I don't know what happened there, but, you know, I'm, we're hungry again. And the guy said, no problem, I'll go. I'll get. And so he went back into his house. He brought out two big handfuls of gold coins. And he said, Rich, this is for you. And he poured it into Rich's bucket. And Rich was so ecstatic. He thanked the man profusely, ran all the way home, burst into the kitchen saying, we're rich, we're rich. And his family came running, and there were two gold coins in the top of that bucket. <clears throat> this happened several times. And uh, one time when Rich went back to the wealthy benefactor and the, the guy said to him, you know, Rich, I don't want to push you or anything, but you know, if you brought me an empty bucket, I would fill the whole thing for you with gold coins. And you know what Rich said? He said, I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. That is so generous, but I just can't. I mean, these are my cream of my cream of my worthless rocks. I can't get rid of them. How could I ever do that? Don't even ask. And so he got his two or three gold coins. You know, after a while, Rich began to think about this. You know, if it wasn't for that, those rocks, those worthless rocks, I could be wealthy beyond my wildest dreams. And you know, the more he thought about that, the more he realized that uh, that's not what he wanted, to have those rocks keeping him from being wealthy. And after a time, he began to resent them so much that he finally decided to get rid of them. He went into the forest to a place he'd never been. He dumped the rocks into a pile. He turned his back on them, and he never came back. And now if you go to that city, you will find a man who's going around from house to house knocking on doors. And when they answer, you know what he says? He says, hi, I'm rich. Would you like some gold? Hi, I'm rich. Would you like some gold? My friends, that is a parable of my life. All my life I've been clinging to these worthless, precious rocks that have been keeping God from filling me to overflowing with his wealth. And God just asks, just let me fill it. Just let me fill your bucket to overflowing. And I wouldn't let him. <clears throat> I am a fourth generation Seventh-day Adventist, which is good in some ways and challenging in other ways. But I praise God for that. I have had many advantages in my life that I am very, very thankful for. I was raised in a good home. Um, 
my mother was so conscientious about having morning and evening worship with my brother and I that she read the entire uh, 10 volume Arthur S. Maxwell Bible story set to us. She read the entire series to us 11 times before we went off to academy. I went to Adventist schools from first grade to graduate school. I was a missionary overseas, an ordained elder in my church. I never did drugs or alcohol, premarital sex. In fact, my wife is here, and I don't want to really want to embarrass, embarrass her, but you know, she's heard this story before. A couple months before our wedding, she came to me, and she said, Mike, I think we need to practice kissing. Because if we don't, we're going to make a fool of ourselves when we get up there in that marriage ceremony. And uh, you know what I said? Okay. Fortunately, I was a good, uh, quick learner. <laughs> we survived that. <laughs> Thank goodness for, for brave uh, um, fiancés. Anyway, that just goes to show you where I was. God had been doing some wonderful things in my life. Uh, I was president of Adventist Youth for Better Living. I was the maintenance man for the girls' dorm at the academy where I, I went to school. Now, that's probably too much... Uh, trust to put in an adolescent boy to be the maintenance man for the girls' dorm. But I never abused that trust. I was trustworthy. But that was the outside, because on the inside, I was a mess. I was polluted by sin. I was enslaved by addictions and bad habits and serious character flaws, and it was an absolute mess on the inside. It looked good on the outside. Fine, no problem. And yet, on the inside, that's not what it really was. And you know, the tragedy of my life was not that I had all these sinful uh, tendencies and addictions. The tragedy was, never made any progress over them. I mean, God is the Almighty God. He should be making some progress here. I remember many, many times, sincerely pleading with God to give me victory over my besetting sins. I would plead with Him and say, Lord, I know you want to give me victory. And I want victory. You know, I claim the Bible promises and everything. You know, there's this wonderful promise in the Bible that says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Isn't that a great promise? That's one that we should be memorizing, right? Didn't work. Didn't work. I tried it. Didn't work. Was I missing something? You see those three dots at the beginning? That tells you that something is missing, right? And my friends, that is what I was missing. And we'll get back to that. I remember trying to resist the devil. And he would just laugh in my face and keep pounding away at me until he got through. I remember thinking, why do I even try? I was baptized at the age of 11 or 12. And I never understood surrender. I never understood what it meant to truly give myself wholeheartedly unreservedly, unresistingly, unrelentingly, irretrievably to God. After three decades of, after my baptism, of sincerely following an almighty God, not only had he not given me victory over my original besetting sins, but I had picked up some new ones along the way. In fact, after 30 years of serving an all-powerful God, I was in some ways worse off than when I started. That's when I began to realize that there might just be something wrong with my Christian experience. It, it really took that long before I began to realize that there might be something wrong here. And so I blamed God. I said, God, I've been serving you sincerely for over 40 years, and I just don't know what else to do. I've tried. 
I've tried to resist the devil, I've prayed, I've done everything, I've, you know. Uh, it's not my fault. It's got to be yours because I've done everything I can. That's what I told God. And I said, God, I am having a hard time believing in you because really and truly I've not seen your power in my life. I mean, I've heard a lot of people say that they've got power, but you know, I don't see it. I'm not seeing it. And so I said, if you are a real God, and if there is a real heaven, I'm not going to be there unless you prove yourself to me supernaturally because I'm done with this wishy-washy intangible stuff. It's not working for me. That's what I said to God. Praise God for patience, for his patience. <laughs> you know, he should have wiped me off the face of the earth when I did that. But he was, he realized, he realized what was happening. He realized that that was actually a beginning of surrender for me. That was actually saying, Lord, I can't do it. And he realized that he was getting through, so he didn't give up on me. I went overnight from being what I believe to be a better than, uh, than average Christian to being a faithless skeptic. I don't even know if there is a God. <clears throat> and for several months, I gave up on doing God's will. I decided that I'm not even going to try. I'm going to go the way I want to go. I'm going to do the things I want to do. I'm going to eat what I want to eat and drink what I want to drink and read what I want to read and watch what I want to read and do what I want to do. But God did not leave me there, Amen. for which I'm very thankful, because that was a downward spiral. I had no conception of where that was going to lead. But God rescued me from that. <clears throat> the key to my surrender started at camp meeting, Wisconsin camp meeting. I was there to visit my mother. I wasn't there to enjoy the spiritual feast. I was there to, enjoy, to just talk to my mom. And we were sitting together in a meeting one evening, because, of course, I had to go with my mom. And, uh, you know, I don't remember any of the words, I don't think, in that sermon to this day, but I do remember one thing. The sermon was about surrender. I remember one thing very distinctly. I, I remember wondering to myself, I wonder if that's the problem. I wonder if it's possible that through all these years of sincere Christianity, I have never actually succeeded in surrendering all my life to Jesus. Well, it was an interesting thought. I didn't jump into it immediately. I decided that I was going to pray about it. I was going to study surrender a little bit more. And so what I decided to do was to read the New Testament again for the gazillionth time. But this time, as I read the New Testament, I was going to ask myself for every passage, what does this passage tell me about surrender? I really wanted to learn about this thing because I realized that there was something missing and I think that was it. And so I decided I was going to learn about surrender. So I asked myself, what is surrender? What does it look like in practical terms? How can I become surrendered? How can I know if I am surrendered? How can I stay surrendered? All these questions and more. And you know what I found? I found something that Ellen White already knew. Self-surrender is the substance of the teachings of Christ. Self-surrender is the substance of the teachings of Christ. My friends, I want to ask you a question. If that's true, if self-surrender is the substance of the teachings of Christ, and if I grew up, if I grew up on Christ's words, reading the New Testament and the Gospels over and over again, how is it that I missed that? How is it that no pastor sat me aside and says, Mike, this is how surrender works. Surrender is the substance of the teachings of Christ. If surrender is the substance of the teachings of Christ, then how did I miss out on it all my life? Where were my parents teaching me about surrender? Where was my pastor teaching me about surrender? Where, why couldn't I learn it? Do you think it's any coincidence that we have such a hard time understanding surrender and learning what it really means? 
The devil wants to hide this one concept, probably more than any other concept. He doesn't care if we understand that God loves us as long as we don't surrender ourselves to him. He doesn't care if we have great faith in God's ability and his power as long as we don't let him do that in our lives, right? <clears throat> I realized at that point, as I began to study surrender, that I had actually never, never been converted. I had never given my life to God wholeheartedly. I had always held back a little bit. Many look for a special change to take place in their feelings. This they term conversion. Over this error, thousands have stumbled to ruin, not understanding the expression, you must be born again. And that's what happened to me. I had these little open gates in the citadel of my life, and the devil would slither in, and he would undo much of the good work that God was trying, longing, battling to do in me. And so as I began to study surrender, one of the things that I began to realize was that in order to be fully surrendered, it helps to count the costs. Counting the cost means looking at your life and asking yourself, what would my life be like if I really gave God all my choices? And as I looked at my life and looked at the things I did with my free time and looked at the things that I said and read and watched and ate and all this, you know, my life, as I looked at that, I said, wow, surrender is expensive. I'm not willing to pay it. I don't want to give up that. I don't want to give up that. I don't want to give up that. <clears throat> But God kept on pounding away at me, kept on working on me, getting me slowly but surely to the place where I was more and more willing. You know, and I began to think, maybe I need to give God all my choices. And so one of those little bad choices that I knew about, these little open gates in the citadel of my life, was movies. I'm getting extremely practical here. This is my personal testimony. I can do that. It was movies. I have always known that movies were not God's choice for me. That was, that was easy. I knew that they did not meet the standard of Philippians 4.8, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. And I knew that. And I tried over and over again to give up movies. I would have a spiritual high on Sabbath morning and give up movies, and by Sabbath night, you know, sundown, my resolutions were as ropes of sand. <clears throat> During this time, God was teaching me about movies and, and their impact on my life and things. And, and I, I think, as to some extent, understood a lot of the bad things that movies were doing to me. I realized that when I watched movies, I was being given unhealthy emotions by those movies. Have you ever watched a movie and felt sad or romantically involved or revengeful or angry in a bad way because these movies make you feel that way? And I knew that um, when I watched movies, I had a difficult time controlling my snack fingers. I would, the only thing better than watching a movie was to watch a movie and snack at the same time. But what, what some really amazing thing happened was, when I started the movie, I would open the bag and I would take one chip. By the time the movie was over, the whole bag would be empty and I only had that one chip. So, you know, I have no idea what happened to the rest of those chips. You know, have you ever noticed that? It's kind of hard to focus on what you're doing when you're watching a movie. And so I knew that was bad for me. I knew that watching movies used up large chunks of my time. And I knew at least at some level that watching movies made it more difficult for me to enjoy the Bible. Because movies are packed full.
full of action and adventure and drama and romance. And they make the Bible seem bland by comparison, or even real life bland by comparison. I knew that movies were a door that the, wor that the devil was using to open me up to worldly values and ideas. I knew all these things. And yet, I just couldn't give it up. I tried so many times. But the more I began to study this, and the more I began to pray, pray about it, the more I realized that this was one of those choices. This was one of those little things, little things, that was keeping me from surrendering my, my life 100% to Jesus. And I knew that they would have to go. What made this really hard was that at that time I was an engineer and I would often travel all over the world solving problems for my company. And this meant a lot of international travel. And um, international travel means watching movies. I don't know if you realize that. That's a, you know, they just go hand in hand. I mean, you don't sit in this one little seat for eight or nine hours or 12 hours, whatever the case. You don't sit in this little seat for all that time and not watch a movie or three. It just can't be done. It's impossible. And so as I was studying uh, about surrender and as, as the Lord was, was impressing me about this movie problem, I had... Um, some international travel coming up, and I don't, I'm kidding you not, this had never happened before. Just ahead were three international trips in the space of three weeks. I went to London one week and came back for a day. I went to Ireland the next week and came back for a day. I went to France the next week and came back for a day. I had six crossings over the Atlantic ahead of me. And as I looked at my daunting travel schedule, and as, as I prayed about surrender, I said to myself, Mike, you're going to give up movies as soon as you get back. <laughs> oh, me of little faith, right? <clears throat> I remember distinctly going to England that first week. I remember watching the movie. It was a, cr a crime thriller, and it was dark, and it was dirty, and it was yucky. And I was like, just made me feel terrible. I said, Mike, why do you watch this garbage? And I was so disgusted with myself, I went to sleep and didn't watch any more movies. On the way back from that trip, I don't remember what I did. But on the, uh, after that experience, I decided that, that by God's grace, I was going to do at least something to watch less movies. So I decided that before I went to Ireland, I was going to stock up on all the good reading material that I could find. I was going to bring my MP3 player with some good sermons on it and some good music. And I was going to do everything I could to at least reduce the number of movies that I watched on that trip. Well, it turns out that that flight to Ireland was a very late night, early morning trip, and I slept the whole way. I slept the whole way, man. From the time we were taking off to the time we were landing, I pretty much slept the whole way. And you know what? During that time when I was sleeping, I did not watch one movie. Not one. Hey, don't laugh. Whatever God can do to, to keep us from temptation, you know, he'll do it. So God was good. In the middle of that trip to Ireland... Something miraculous happened. I woke up one morning, and I needed to surrender right there. I don't know how God did it. It was supernatural. Somehow, some way, he had gotten me to a place where I woke up one morning, and I was ready. Now, this was, a, this was, of course, a work that he'd been doing for months in advance. But right then, I woke up and I said, this has got to be it. I've got to do it. And I wanted to do it. And I was ready to do it. And I realized it was a bad time because I still had three trips across the Atlantic. And I said, Lord, I surrender all. I have looked at my life. I have counted the costs. I'm willing to let you have all of my choices. 
<clears throat> you know when tragic things or traumatic things happen to you, you, you remember where you were? I remember where I was on that morning. August 8th, 2008. August 4th, 2008. I remember distinctly where I was. I remember the room that I was in. I remember everything about that room. That, my friends, was one of the most traumatic experiences in my life. That was comparable to me than, than, as the World Trade Center going down. You know, it was just, I knew where I was. That was a traumatic experience. And uh, <clears throat> when I was coming home from that trip, I sat in a, a new airplane, and I'd never been in before, a new airline that, I, that very rarely traveled. And you would not believe what I found in the seat in front of me. Now, for the youth these days, you're all used to this stuff. You don't remember back in the old days when you used to have this tiny little screen in the back of your seat and, and the, the airline would pipe six movies over it during the, during the trip and you had to time your movies and you couldn't go to the bathroom because you'd miss something. And, well, nowadays, I sat down in this new airplane and there was this widescreen entertainment system in front of me. This is the first time, I, I, I kid you not, this is the first time I'd ever seen this type of entertainment system on an airplane. Do you think that was coincidence? Do you think that was coincidence? No, this thing was packed full of all kinds of movies, of every genre. And you could start them and stop them whenever you wanted to. It was an amazing feat of entertainment. And it was useless to me. But there was a map button. You know, there's always a silver lining, right? There was a map button. I don't know about you, but I kind of like watching the map. You know, I like looking out the window and saying, hey, look, we're flying over Iceland. And that actually just happened a few weeks ago. I was, oh, look, we're flying over Iceland. Anyway, so I pressed the map button. And guess what it said? Your computer people will, will appreciate this. This feature not yet implemented. Please make another choice. But there were no other choices for me. And do you know what really surprised me? I made it through that entire flight without watching one movie. I thought I would explode or something, right? And you know what's even more amazing? I enjoyed it. In fact, that flight was when I began to write this series that I'm sharing with you right now. It was a process of eight or nine years to get where we are right now, but it was a process that started on that flight. I was actually amazed. I was astounded at how easy it was to resist the temptation. Remember that verse, James 4, 7? What were the ellipses? What was I missing? Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. My friends, there is a very important order in this verse. Please, don't be like me and try to start in the middle. It doesn't work. You can't just resist the devil and have him flee from you. You have to submit first. Give yourself to God. Let him be Almighty God in you, and you will be astounded at the power of the Almighty God. I had no conception of God's power until I actually let him be all-powerful in me. It just blew me away. I was coming home from France that third week, and uh, as I sat down in my seat, my hand automatically reached out for the entertainment guide. Because that's what I always did when I got on an airplane. I would sit down, reach the entertainment guide, find out my schedule of movies. And as my hand was reaching out to the entertainment guide, I says, hey, Mike, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm just going to look at it. I won't watch anything. And I said, no, 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 no. Don't even go there. 
You know, because many times before you look at this delectable menu and your, your resolutions are ropes of sand. So I said, okay, Lord, thank you. No way. I'm not going to look at that. Praise the Lord. You know what happened right after that? I kid you not. I had flown on this airline almost a half a million miles, and this had never happened that I remember ever before. The purser came on the intercom, and movie by movie told everybody on that plane all six of the movies that were showing on that flight. And one of them was a rated G family comedy that I've been wanting to watch for a long time. Do you think that's any coincidence? Do you think that this is a coincidence? The devil was panicking. He was doing everything he could to get me back because he realized that for the first time in my life I had really truly given myself wholly to God. And my mind started rationalizing. I admit it. It's rated G. How bad can it be? And by the way, do you think that those people who make those ratings are inspired by the living God? <clears throat> it's a family comedy, you know, and laughter is the best medicine, right? But then I said, no. I said, I have given that choice to God. It's his choice to make. And I said, Lord, that's yours. And God gave me the victory. You know what the devil said? The devil said, okay, and he was gone. It was amazing. I was surprised. This, this didn't, didn't usually work this way. You resist the devil and he flees. Wow, that's a new concept that had never worked before. It's amazing what happens. It's amazing the power that we get over sin when we let God be Almighty God in us. <clears throat> My friends, something really amazing happened right after I surrendered to Jesus for the first time in my life. A couple incredible things, miraculous, supernatural things happened. One, I began to enjoy prayer. I really, really began to enjoy it. I began to look forward to it. I could spend an hour in prayer and hardly realize the time going by. I prioritized it. It really became truly the most enjoyable part of my day. For the first time in my life, I mean, I knew it was supposed to be for all my life, but now it actually became. God actually miraculously transformed my enjoyment of prayer overnight, and that had always been a great struggle with me. Another thing that God did miraculously overnight was he gave me immediate victory over every besetting sin in my life, every known chosen sin in my life. All of those besetting sins that I knew were not God's choices, all those things that I knew that I... God didn't want me to do what I was doing anyway because I said everybody's doing that and it's just a little thing. All of those, all at once, God gave me victory. If you told me that before I surrendered, I wouldn't have believed you because it doesn't work that way. It had never worked that way for me before. My friends, I had never experienced the power of God before that day. Never because I had been battling against the God who was battling to bless me. I'd like to share with you one of my favorite quotations from Ellen White about victory over sin. Something that I didn't understand before I surrendered, but afterwards I began to understand. When the soul surrenders itself to Christ, a new power takes possession of the new heart. A change is wrought which man can never accomplish for himself. It is a supernatural work, bringing a supernatural element into human nature. Isn't that incredible? And it does. It works. God is perfectly willing and able to be supernatural in you and I. I was amazed. She goes on. The soul that is yielded to Christ becomes his own fortress. 
Wow. Don't you want God to be the ruler of your life so that your life is his own fortress? That he's responsible for protecting? Which he holds in a revolted world, and he intends that no authority shall be known in it but his own. This is the Almighty God talking right here. He can do what he says. She goes on. A soul thus kept in possession by the heavenly agencies is impregnable to the assaults of Satan. But unless we do yield ourselves to the control of Christ, we shall be dominated by the wicked one. I can, from my personal experience, I can share both of those as being true. Both of those sentences being true. Yes, God can make us impregnable to the assaults of Satan. And yes, we can be dominated by the wicked one if we don't surrender. I can tell you both of those are true by experience. It is amazing what God wants to do in our lives. Now I want to make sure you don't misunderstand me. I stood up here and I said that God gave me victory over every known chosen sin in my life. I am not claiming to be perfect. I am not claiming not to be a sinner. I am a sinner. I am a desperate sinner standing in the need of grace. I still, have, I still make serious mistakes. I still have serious shortcomings. I still have serious character flaws. I am a sinner. But the difference is, when it comes to the choices, God has empowered my will so that I can choose his will. It's those known chosen sins that get us. And those are the ones that God has given me victory over. Miraculous victory over. Not only has he worked in me to do it, he's worked in me to want to do it. Right? It's God who works in us both to what? Will and to do. It's amazing what God has done. Several we for several weeks after my surrender, I had spiritual panic attacks. I would have these incredible, difficult, fearful episodes where I would say, what have I done? Am I never going to watch a movie again? To me, that seemed inconceivable. Am I just going to fail again? Am I just going to, like I always had in the past, the devil just pounded away at me. And God got me through. Step by step, I said, Lord, I'm going to trust you because I just don't see how this is going to work. Step by step, God got me through. For several weeks, this happened. And then after that, the panic attacks were gone. And they haven't come back. And it was replaced by an incredible faith in the power of God. God just wants to bless us. And we can let him. We can let him. I realize that not everybody here struggles with movies. I realize that the devil works on each of us in many different ways. I can guarantee one thing. The devil has a special temptation for each one sitting in this room today, and each one standing in this room today. God has a special, I mean, the devil has a special temptation for each one of us, right? It may not be movies. It may be something completely di different. You know, some people have no problem with movies. I remember uh, sharing my testimony with a guy once. He says, wow, that's easy. Anybody can give up movies. I don't understand how that was ever a problem for you. He had no conception of the impossibility that it seemed to me. No conception at all. But for somebody else, you know, something else is a, is a challenge, and, and I don't think much about it. So each one of us have our special temptations. And God can give each one of us victory. No matter who we are, no matter how weak we are, because it doesn't have to do with our weakness. In fact, the weaker we are, the better, right? In my weakness, he is strong. Amen. God can give each one of us power over the besetting sins in our life. That's his promise, that's his desire, and that's our choice. I was coming back from Germany one day, 
and I was watching the people as the plane loaded. And there was this young, couple, uh, this young lady with her son coming down the aisle, and I was uh, wondering, you know, who they were going to meet. Hopefully they were going to meet the husband and father of the boy. And they sat behind me someplace in coach class. I didn't see where. And after a little while, I could detect some kind of a scuffle going, back, going on back there. And I didn't know what was happening. I couldn't hear anything. But sure enough, a little while later, a different lady came forward with her boarding pass in her hand, and she was going like this, you know. And I knew exactly what had happened. It happened to me several times before. Two people had the same seat on the airplane, and they both had boarding passes to prove it. And sure enough, a little while later, she came back with a stewardess, and there was some more scuffle back there. Anyway, the upshot of it all was the original young lady and her son got kicked off the airplane, and she was crying. How do they make decisions like that? I have no idea. But anyway, I remember saying, wow, I hope that she gets another flight and that she's able to make her connections and it doesn't cause her all kinds of problems. But you know what? She didn't make another flight. Just before they closed the door on that airplane, she came back on board. And she wasn't crying anymore, she was smiling. And she didn't sit behind me in coach class, she sat in front of me in business class. Do you think that that lady, during that eight or nine hour flight, ever looked back at her coach class seat and said, what am I missing? What am I missing back there? She reclined, you know, in that nice business class recliner and she was eating that gourmet food, the, the hot nuts, you know. Do you think she ever looked back and says, wow, I wonder what I'm missing back there? My friends, all of my life I have been clinging to this coach class Christian experience and God has been doing everything he can to wrench this coach class ticket out of my hand and to give me a first class Christian experience and I never want to go back. I never want to go back. I'm not missing anything back there. I just want to say that I praise God for his power, for everything that he's done in my life, for everything he's done in your life, for everything he is doing. I know that he is almighty God, even though he restricts himself because of our power of choice. But I also know that God is doing everything he possibly can in every life right now. In fact, I believe that's why we're all here. Because God is working on our hearts and our minds. God wants each one of us to have a first-class Christian experience with him. And we want the same thing. That's why we're here. I would like to have a special prayer of consecration. And I'd like for you to join me if you want to. I'm going to ask God to reconsecrate our lives to him as he, we have never done before. To help us to consecrate ourselves to him. And if you'd like to join me in that prayer, I invite you to kneel right where you are. And let's pray together. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, God, you see us on our knees before you because we recognize how weak we are. We recognize how desperately we need you. And Father, it is our choice to reconsecrate ourselves to you as we have never done before. It is our desire, Father, that you will make us willing to do whatever it takes to get out of your way, to let you be almighty God. Father, perfect our surrender. Grant that we may hold nothing back. Grant that we may be wholly, 100% consecrated to you, unreservedly, unresistingly, unrelentingly, and irretrievably. This is my prayer and my praise for each one of us this afternoon. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse. 
a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.